Hello, friends. Thank you for joining us today. Today, we're going to talk about cults. Uh, what is a cult? Uh, how can you get yourself out of a cult if you find yourself either slipping into one or, or you're in the midst of one? And then also, how might you be able to help others get out of a cult? This is our topic for today, and I'm excited to have you join us. But before we get into all that, I do want to take a moment to mention that we are so grateful for those of you that have been our tippers and have been with us along the way. Sometimes, I mean, I know that you hear our podcasts, uh, that you get some of the information that, you know, we're putting on the website and stuff. And there's a lot of things that we do behind the scenes that you may not realize. And there's fielding all sorts of questions from people um, and and really being able to, in ways that we can't always share on the air, um, but really reach out and help people when they find themselves in, in certain situations. And so we couldn't be doing that without you helping to make this possible. I'm so grateful for that. I do want to mention if you do decide to join us um, and become a patron, that every week you will get an audio and written reflection on a chapter of the Tao Te Ching, as well as every other week uh, we will release a, a, a pre-release of a forthcoming chapter of the, of the Protect Your Noggin with Jesus uh, Bible study series. Again, thank you so much. And also, I, wanted, I do want to add that if for some reason, I know these are tough times, and if you do want access and need access to you know, you find these things might be helpful to you, but you aren't able to support us financially right now, please just send us an email um, and we'll, we'll get you connected. Um, and the point isn't to <laughs> try to, um, you know, keep information from people. We definitely want, we want everybody to come along on this journey um, and, and with us and, and, and join us in all of these materials, uh, whether, even if you find yourself in a financial hardship. Well, thank you so much. And let's get on with the show. <laughs> Oh, we got a fun topic today. We're talking about cults, and that's kind of behind a lot of what we do. Right, baby? I mean, it's like, yeah, you know, absolutely. but broadening the definition. So it could be, as we've said, the PTA could be your cult and your uh, your baseball team could be your cult. But really today we're talking about actual cults. <laughs> and the name cult, the very word cult is controversial. We'll talk about that uh, in, in a little bit. But over the time that we've been doing this work and this podcast, we have tried to help people out of situations. Um, going back to my 20s, I got in a car chase. Um, I was the one being chased with a, a, a person that we were helping to get out of a very notorious cult. And so we've done a little bit of this, but it's a very difficult sort of thing because like any other situation you find yourself in where somebody else is, is doing something that you think is self-destructive, it can be really tricky for you to want to do something about it, but not really know how. So what are the, what are the three things? You know, th- these are coming from a variety of interactions we've had, a variety of questions that people have uh, brought to us. But where are we going for today's show, baby? Yeah, well, today I think we, we want to address, uh, first of all, what is a cult? And then um, how can you get yourself out of a cult if, if you're in one? And then how may you be able to help somebody else that you recognize as in a cult? And those are the, I think the three main things we'll cover as we go along and, and we don't have all the answers, no, <laughs> right? No. Um, we have some, we have some guidelines and some things that can help through and, and also just um, real, realistic expectations. Yeah. Our, our main goal is to help educate people related to these themes. That's, that's kind of our 
center of gravity. There are people that are lawyers that specialize in these things. There are folks who are mental health professionals that can help with these things. And for for many folks, uh, those are going to be very important if you really want to take this seriously because the level of engagement in these things is such that that if you are affected by a cult, it's going to have long-lasting, if not permanent, effects. Even if you can overcome those effects, you're kind of going to have to deal with them because this is a very um, significant thing in people's lives, and it can have those those ripples that go throughout relationships and and careers and all that. So let's let's uh, let's get into it. Where do we want to start? Let's start with first. What is a cult? (laughs) Yeah, I wish I wish uh, it was easier for people to know right off the bat that we mean high demand groups. I, I like that language. Sometimes people will talk about new religious movements. I don't think that helps because sometimes there are new religious movements that seem benign, right. uh, maybe very helpful for people. And uh, high demand groups, I think, characterize that language of high demand, characterizes really what's going on. These are groups that are extreme. They're groups that involve a lot of your time and energy that kind of draw you in and kind of serve as an obsession. And yet, for a lot of us, we get excited about things. You know, I get excited about bird watching. Mm-hmm. I get excited about translating the Tao Te Ching or whatever. Like, so there are things that you can really pour yourself into. But we're talking about something that's just all-encompassing of your life in a way that can be unhealthy. So uh, this definition, for instance, from the ICSA, um, this, is, um, this is just a, you know, one of many bullet points that you could use to kind of get an idea of what a cult is. Um, Again, not talking about all new religious movements, talking about high demand groups. Uh, They suggest that a a cult is a group or movement exhibiting the following. First, great or excessive devotion or dedication to some person, idea, or thing. There's this excessive devotion. That's a hard one to pinpoint. Right. right? Uh, Second, employing unethical, manipulative, coercive techniques of persuasion and control. That's, I think, the biggest key. And that's what we're trying to help people uh, disabuse themselves of, those manipulative tactics. And I'm sure fear has to be a huge one that they play off of, people's fears, right? Oh, yeah. So when you start hearing about a group that is trying, it seems to almost... I don't know, get at people's fears or um, constantly, like, you know... Even put yourself there, you know, just think about it for a second and ask yourself, you know, why, why am I, you know, what, what is so fearful about this? And, yeah. you know, is there, is there truth behind it? But then maybe, you know, how, what percentage of what it is that they're talking about so that you don't accidentally, you know, overinflate certain fears and, and own fears that they're, yeah. they're handing over to you. Yeah, these are these are almost always going to target people that are vulnerable in some way. It doesn't right. mean that if you find yourself in one, you should feel bad. In fact, the opposite is true. But but they're often going to to prey on people in need. Right. And so I would imagine you know you'd ask yourself like, what are they offering? What do they claim to be offering? Yeah. Right. And if there is a group that you you know find yourself and you know drawn to or whatever, uh, what is it? What is it providing you that you? feel that draw, right? Mm-hmm. And and just be aware that that is perhaps a need that you have or, you know, a vulnerable area in your yeah. life. Yeah. And uh, sometimes like, you know, your parents were in a, in a sect. Mm-hmm. 
when your dad was in the military. Right. And they don't strike me as people that normally would have gotten into that sect. But why did they get involved? Oh, mostly just because they were living, at the time they were living in Germany, and nobody that they knew of spoke English. And so here was some really nice people that spoke English, and it was a way for them to be able to hang out with people and, and have connection and have you know a sense of community outside of the United States when they didn't speak you know the foreign language. So, yeah. or the language that was foreign to them. So that for them was the draw, you know, that they could have that connection that they could have fellow English speaking people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that was as simple as, you know, it just took Mm -hmm. just being able to talk to a group. Sometimes people ask, well, why do you, why do you think you have anything to say about cults when you're primarily a, you know, late medieval, early, uh, you know, modern religious historian? Yeah. Well, cults aren't new. That's true. There is, a group of new cults. But I mean, when you look back, this is a phenomenon that has plagued society for a long time. Mm-hmm. There's a guy named uh, Sabbatai Zevi, for instance, who uh, was saying that he was the Messiah. And he, and he brought a bunch of people out from Europe over to the, to the Middle East. And um, they eventually made Sabbatai Zevi either convert to Islam or prove that he was the Messiah by having an, an army th- shoot him with arrows, and mm. he chose to convert to Islam. And all his his uh, followers said, "Well, wait, well what? <laughs> I thought we I thought we had a different kind of scene, mm. you know." Mm. And um, there have been death cults. There have been uh, groups that have taken over cities, and uh, there have been murderous murderous situations, but not always are they like Jim Jones where everybody ends up killing themselves. Most often what happens is the life is sucked out of people for point three, the advancing of the goals of the group's leaders. Mm. That's the real key thing. So uh, you always find in these groups, if you want to think of them as cults, it's, it's about the needs of the leader, their wealth, their notoriety, supporting what they write, supporting all of their work, doing all this extra stuff as if the group is a slave to that person. That's right. really what's going on. And that's why sometimes if somebody says, hey, I'm a Christian, and you think, well, that's great, I'm a Christian, uh, they might be a cult, regardless of what their theology is, if mm-hmm. they have these characteristics. characteristics. I would say, too, you mentioned the leadership and, and the power of leadership. And I think that sometimes when these leaders... Um, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but when these leaders feel like their power is being threatened or perhaps they are losing a sense of control or maybe perhaps the government or other authorities are starting to like hone in on them, Mm -hmm. right? I feel like sometimes that's when the desperate measures of, you know, where it all goes tragic, um, you know, or the mass suicides and things like that can tend to happen. Mm -hmm. And I also think that it's a particularly vulnerable spot in a group when there is a leadership transition for some reason. Oh, yeah. You know, whether there's the death of the yeah. main leader or maybe just for some reason there's a splintering off or something. And well, some of these groups, when they get rid of the leader, if he dies or, or they, they go into jail, they often are kind of like the Smurfs without Papa Smurf right. kind of wandering about. They don't know what to do. It's kind of a sad thing. We'll get into some of those things because really uh, this is not an academic conversation we want to have. This is about how to help ourselves and others. Uh, the last point, though, related to this is that this all, these cult-like behaviors and groups end up creating a situation that is detrimental to the members themselves, mm. their families, and their community. So when people are harmed, 
when they're tormented, traumatized, when they are less able to cope with the world, when their lives become less happy, even though they still think they find meaning, that's where you have a cult. This is excerpted from the Cultic Studies Journal, 1986, hmm. pages 119 to 120. But um, so, so that's, you know, that's, that's what it is. And again, you can behave in a culty way. You can have groups that have been called cults that act like denominations. Mm-hmm. LDS or Mormons are an example. So from a theological standpoint, Orthodox Christians would say perhaps that, that Mormons are a cult, but you might say that they don't operate in, in too many ways that are different from a lot of American Protestant denominations. Mm. So theirs is a problem of the uh, belief system being off. There might be some people that are loosely, um, you know, connected. They maybe attend service or whatever. But once you can, you can get really involved and move up in, in sort of your connection and the leadership. And I think that that's where some of the the stuff gets a little strange, especially. But it does. But again, even th- but there, I still think that the emphasis is on what we might think of as from a Christian perspective or a Jewish perspective or, or whatever Muslim perspective they might say, oh, those are weird beliefs mm. that I disagree with okay. and they're new. So it's like this new sect that's kind of become more like a denomination and it is true, but they don't get to the top enough to drink baby blood no. to my knowledge. Right. <laughs> right. So, so, and, and the only reason I'm saying this is that very often this is where we get caught up that we think, well, on the one hand, I'm trying to get somebody not to join a group that I, I don't believe is right. And so th- I think this is an important distinction. So if somebody's going to join a denomination or a group or a new age spiritual movement that isn't detrimental to them, other than maybe you think they're going to go to hell if they believe right. the wrong thing, but th- you got to kind of leave that as a totally different thing. So, so just again, think about the Mormons as a group that you might not agree with, but operate more like a denomination, you might find another group that has a website that has six bullet points of theological statements that you fully affirm, but is uh, detrimental and authoritarian to the individuals within it because they're really just serving to get nice cars for the, for the main dude. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And so what we're talking about today are these groups that are not we're not primarily talking about them theologically. We're talking about them from a more sociological perspective. How does this, how does this look and how is it detrimental in people's lives? And so, you know, there are ways in which you might be a part of a denomination, dear listener, that started out kind of as a weird sector cult that came to the United States to escape the, the authorities back in Europe and now is a normal kind of relatively well-functioning group, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, we want to keep this stuff uh, separate. Yeah, and I, so one of the things I, I was thinking about here, because I was wondering, okay, so if you get yourself in, in a cult, how do you get yourself out, right? And I'm, and we've even had, um, you know, there's been colleagues of yours, or it may not even be possible. Yeah, no, I was, I was at a conference, and a, and a, a scientist, uh, a woman who's a scientist and a friend of mine, I was talking about this thing we did early on when we started the, the podcast and the, uh, the website, it's called How to Leave a Cult. It's actually the first post that we had. And it, I posted it partly to just get feedback, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, so these are the things I'm thinking. These are the things that we've noticed and experienced. And uh, let me read them real fast, if okay, you don't mind. Sure. So steps towards outfoxing a cult. Number one, if you think you might be in a cult, 
you probably are, right? <laughs> so if you're just going, hey, this is a little fishy here, you should treat that intuition with uh, respect, yeah. right? You really respect those insights. If you're just thinking, I don't like how my boundaries are being crossed, always and listen I, to that. And as much as you possibly can, um, I would say any group that you start to become a part of and you start to feel that feeling, um, yep. that's, that's a red flag right there. So, yeah. you know, maybe pause before you get too involved with the group yeah. when that when that intuition sort of kicking in saying mm-hmm. something doesn't feel right. I, yeah, like, you know, you said it very well with saying that your boundaries are being crossed here. Or um, also, whenever anything seems, you mentioned before, but that all-encompassing. Yeah. Like when they start to take more and more of your life to where you don't have room for anything else but that. Yeah. That's, you know, or they're trying to get to that point. Um, then that, that, those are huge red flags. That's why sociologists would not typically count Mormons in a, the context of cults because today they go to high school and, you know, like it's not all encompassing functioning members other. of society when you have to be totally withdrawn so that you don't get corrupted by other people thinking mm-hmm. that's a, that's a big red flag. Number two, don't tell the cult you're thinking about bailing. <laughs> Never. No. That's not a good idea. Um, and, and I would also, I mean, I, you should be very, very careful telling anybody inside, even if you think you can trust them, you mm-hmm. know, you just don't know their level of connection. And if they're sort of sent to, uh, you know, be the eyes and ears for the group, you know. Now, my friend Anne had said that it, I forgot, I think I forgot to mention, she said that it's impossible. That's that what, the, yeah. the problem with cults, that's what I was hinting at. Yeah, the I problem with before. the problem with cults is that they're so good at getting you to not think on your own that it's kind of a silly question. That's the way she said it, and I think for the most part she's right. But I've got to believe that there are a few people out there that say enough's enough. They've seen enough, and I I know these people. I've met people, so I I, I agree with with what Anne was saying that it's that you can't get yourself out of a cult. Um, but I think what she also was saying in in our conversation was. Something has to happen mm-hmm. that's dramatic. Yeah. They tell you not to take your child to the doctor, but to pray about it, but your child dies. And like you get that last right. straw. And we know from Leah Remini's documentary for with Scientology that some people did get themselves out of yeah, she um, left. you know some of those situations. So But very often you need a friend. That's the key. So we'll get to that by the end because I mean, you know, you need a lifeline. Um, I, I suppose I should also say I mentioned your parents, uh, one of the I keep forgetting. So one of the reasons right that I think I'm a little bit qualified to talk about this again even though I'm not an expert in the, so- the sociology of it is um my dad was in mm-hmm. at least a dozen cults in some sense right? going back in the, the 60s and 70s. Um, and uh, the Guru Maharaji, uh, Scientology, uh, Swedenborgianism is kind of a, you know, the, more of a theme. I mean, he, he, he was into a few of these things, mm-hmm. maybe 12, uh, you know, exaggeration, but, um, but it, th- there was a time in the late 20th century when, when this was really appealing to people who were trying to figure out now, how do we reconfigure things after the Holocaust and World War II and in the midst of Viet- the Vietnam War, there are a lot of people that wanted to to kind of understand things in a different way. And so, anyway, a lot of family stories related to that. And it was very helpful in some of the more dangerous settings for my dad to have my mom help him 
to get out, right? right? Or to have other friends to come around alongside them. Anyway, uh, so don't tell the cult you're going to bail because what they're going to do is they're going to cut you off at the pass. They might physically restrict you or put things in place where you don't have access to get out in a very direct way, Mm -hmm. but it might just be that they're going to use these tools of manipulation to try to keep you in. So it's best for you to just kind of keep your thoughts to yourself. In many ways, don't even talk to other people that you trust within the cult because very often they will be taught to try to save you, Yeah. right? Pray for you. Go get you back in. They're not going to think that even if you love this person, trust this person, if they still believe in it, don't tell them what you're thinking. Get out. Then you can come back and help them if you want. Number three, develop a discrete network of outside allies. That's the hardest one. That's probably what Anne was saying is is the hardest to tell somebody because if you don't have an outside network, well, then what do you do? But, you know, we've had people that contacted us through the show or the blog or whatever and, and, and just reach out. Mm-hmm. Um, don't, don't rely on us. We're the educators. You know, there's, there's networks of folks we could maybe put, put you in touch with folks. But the, the key there, though, is that by, by finding a way to reach out now in the digital age to the extent that you can, uh, that's going to be helpful to get, get some friends that are helping you kind of think through mm-hmm. stuff. And maybe you don't do it by di- typing in, you know, cult, right. <laughs> <laughs> cult extraction network or something. Get involved in like the like knitters. Yeah, something that maybe even could require you outside of the group, right? Getting your but some, yeah, but um, something that doesn't seem threatening. Like I'm going to go learn how to knit. No big deal. Maybe I'll recruit some people for our cult. You know that sort right. of thing. But uh, try to try to keep those outside allies ready so that when you get out, you aren't on your own because it's really scary to be on your own. Uh, number four, with relation to this, uh, one of the things that folks don't realize often is that. That, th- that they are being censored and that the news that's coming into them is censored. The father of the, uh, the head, the current head of Scientology, um, f- finally was able to get out because they gave him an iPad yeah. and they forgot to put the filter on. Right, so then so the, he was able the, to see more and get more information and understand exactly what kind of group he was a part of. Yes, yeah, so like a lot of the time people will, you know, like they'll, they'll go on their laptop and to do research and, and it's only going to give them materials that are approved by the cult. And, um, when he typed in Scientology, he was doing it not to research Scientology, but to get, do like a Bible study in the morning. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was Bible study. It was like a scientific, you know, Scientology study. And then all of a sudden his world was blown with all of this information. Mm-hmm. Information's powerful. Getting information to people's powerful. It's not the only thing, you know, but it's very important. Now, how do you get that? You need a VPN. Uh, and the VPN is, you know, that's the way when maybe we were in China and wanted to get on <laughs> Facebook or something like this. It's a way to bypass some of those uh, outer controls. VPN, not a bad thing to have. VPN, really important to have if you are trying to do your research and understand what's going on. Number five, get a burner phone. You know, as long as, as long as burner phones exist, it's a good idea. You go down, get yourself some cash. Go down to, uh, you know, Best Buy. You've got a phone that is not being monitored. If somebody texts you, no one's going to see it. You've got to have that hidden secret phone so that no one knows what you're doing when you're making your calls. Um, technical issue, but kind of handy. Number six, remain wary but not fearful. Living in fear is what 
they feed off of. That's, that's where they get their magic. And by even just demonstrating that you're not afraid, sometimes you can get the upper hand. When, when you cower before religious authorities, mm-hmm. that's, that's a lot more difficult. Number seven, if at all possible, establish basic financial freedom. Again, very difficult, but the key is that's get usually, some outside That's friends. usually one of the huge, huge pieces Almost that a, makes yeah. it so hard to get out because usually where you're living, how you're getting your money and feeding, you know, so feeding, clothing, you know, your roof over your head, all of that is connected mm-hmm. with this group. And it's a and big thing. Yeah. So how do you, you know, how do you get away from that? How do you, um, you know, where is your next meal going to come from when you get out is one of yep. the hard parts. It's a big issue that keeps people in. And sometimes people get out and then they don't have the finances to be able to take care of it. And then they get back in. Um, and then, this is also, of course, true for just getting out of a bad boyfriend, girlfriend, mm-hmm. marriage relationship. You know, you've, you've got to have some island to jump over to, at least a temporary one. Number eight, supu- same thing here. Eight, secure a place to go when you're ready to make your move. This one doesn't have to be rented out. But if you could get friends to, say, help you out with a few months, getting into an apartment or getting an Airbnb just to be able to get physically removed that's going to be very important number nine you might need to leave family behind for the time being that's a hard one for a lot of people but it's like that it's often what does keep them there a little longer oh sometimes it keeps people their whole lives because they don't want to lose the family but it's like the the air mask thing put the air mask on first get your oxygen and then you can help save the rest of the folks and again the idea too that if you do, if, if if it's pretty known that if for some reason you walk away from this group, that you will have no communication with any of the members inside is another huge, mm-hmm. huge clue, um, you know, that you are in a cult because they will threaten forever and ever you're not going to have these relationships anymore, no matter how close mm-hmm. these people were to you, no mm-hmm. matter how much of your lives they were, and even if they're your blood relatives, right? Mm-hmm. Number 10, avoid getting into any new group too quickly. This is really important for us um, because <laughs> a lot of the stuff that I was into when I was in high school and early college, I was, I was really into um, kind of counter-cult ministry stuff. And a lot of the time, when I look back on it, counter-cult ministry is often fundamentalists and evangelicals making fun of cults so that they don't feel so stupid about their wacky beliefs. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. Mm -hmm. Or, um, getting people to join their sect instead of somebody else's sect. That's really important. Now, maybe the counter cult organization is not tied to a denomination or or a sect, but so if it is, I don't know, it'd be better to kind of be neutral, but more importantly, just like getting out of a bad relationship, don't jump into a new one too quickly. I think even too with rehabilitation um, centers and things like that, they're often tied to some sort of group. Um, sometimes it's religious. Yeah. And I would say you'd want to be careful, you know, about for yourself or even your loved ones or whatever. If you are going into some sort of rehab, check to see who they're connected with. Check yeah. to see, you know, just make sure that because that's a very vulnerable time in somebody's life. And yeah. if and they're especially also since being they're expensive. indoctrinated with, you yeah. know, some other. I don't know, um, unhealthy, you know, situation or uh, religious organization that you're at a a vulnerable spot and you're going to look for ways that you can have connection with people. And and, and so that's always important to look at 
and see what the agenda might be. Number 11, start some form of self-care routine. And so that's where we're saying, instead of getting into a new sect or highly engaged religious group for at least a little while, have that self-care in a way that's non-sectarian, non-doctrinal, if possible, nature walks, bird watching, clubs that do this together. Get yourself a group of friends that have a shared commitment that isn't about the end of the world (laughs) (laughs) or dyeing your hair purple, although that can be fun. You know, um, find maybe, you know, you get into jujitsu or something where there is a religious routine to it, right? Like people are religious about jujitsu, you (laughs) know, Um, but... But it doesn't require, something that's not explicitly religious, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Because you've already demonstrated to yourself, or hopefully you've, you've seen that maybe you're a little susceptible there. And then number 12, definitely get a decent therapist once you're out. You have to be able to process why is it that you got into this in the first place, and how can you avoid having to run into it in the future? So those are what we got there. You can check them out on our show notes at protectyournoggin.org, and you can also uh, then check those out Um you know, uh, in, in the link that we'll send, but on protectyournoggin.org, we have that as the first article. And also you can catch our podcast notes under the tab podcast. But Stacy, before we continue with our show, you know, uh, let's get a little ad in here because we haven't been doing ads for a while. Uh, we're talking about harvest hosts and harvest hosts is kind of, um, Something we were thinking to bring back, we, we haven't been advertising it because with the lockdown, with the quarantine, <laughs> yeah. people are staying home. But once, uh, once we get back out on the road, you don't necessarily want to go to a hotel. Right. Well, and what I, what I appreciated from Harvest Hosts, and um, so again, we have our camper truck, so you do need yep. your, own, um, your own bathroom, a vehicle that has its own bathroom and also uh, cooking ability. But once you, if you do have that and you go to these places, we found ourselves um, either alone or with one other person maybe staying overnight. There was very few people. Um, so when you talk about social distancing and being able to, you know, keep some distance there, and it's usually wineries, breweries, golf courses, uh, distilleries yeah. um, that will offer the ability to stay overnight there and you, you know, give them a little business, maybe buy some some you know, wine or, um, you know, if golfing is your thing, maybe do a round of golf, but then you can stay the night for free. So in the parking lot. And in our case, almost never was there anybody too close by. Yeah. We had a whole, we had the whole winery to ourselves. Like we had the whole vineyard to be able to explore and there were like ponds and just, you know, rolling grass areas and stuff. And it was absolutely gorgeous. Some of the best camping we've ever done. All to ourselves. And meeting people, but meeting people in a way that you can kind of keep, you know, you could kind of keep your distance. And for me, I'm thinking this would be a great way if things open back up to support smaller businesses like a brewery, right? Mm-hmm. That maybe has, has, has been facing a little bit of tough challenge this time, but to do so in a way that you don't have to be going into a high, um, a, a highly dense restaurant group. Cause think about this. When we were there, you go up, get yourself a nice bottle of wine, we went up on the roof of our truck camper and just looked out at the vineyard right. and watched the sunset. Yep. So I felt like I wasn't totally remote. I was in a safe place. 
I'm not even at one of those campsites where I might be right on top of five other families. Mm-hmm. So that's no, no, no good. I really, really recommend it. And the nice thing is it doesn't cost a lot of money to sign up for it. If you were, if you were planning on going to get uh, some kind of rental, you're doing a timeshare or something, and you don't want to be in the same air conditioning cycle as, as others, and I'm sure they'll fix that before they open it back up. But if, you know, if you're willing to spend a little bit of money on a vacation, why not consider renting an, a, RV. an RV and and see in America, but from a little bit of a distance, maybe behind the windscreen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So let's run that ad, and then after the ad, we will come back and we will talk about how to help a friend get out of a cult. Be right back. Hey there, friends. In our travels across the U.S., we have found a website that we absolutely love. It's called Harvest Hosts. Could you imagine camping overnight in a vineyard, distillery, brewery, or a golf course all to yourself? We've been doing it, and it is absolutely magical. If you go to our website, protectyournoggin.org, you'll find a link where you can sign up and get 15% discount on the annual fee. We think it'll put a smile on your face, and you can help support the podcast at the same time. All you need is an RV or camper with a toilet and cooking facilities, and you can stay all around the country for free. We hope you dig it as much as we do. Check it out. I do want to mention um, that if you do sign up from with Harvest Host from us, um, you know we will get a little bit of something. Um, you know, it's, you want to click through our no, website though. Click through our that, website. Yep. Um, of course, you don't have to. Um, I just, I just want to make that clear. It'd that, be really nice if you would, if since you we want, took the time you, to bother you with this. Yes. If you want to <laughs> sign up, sign up through us. If you wouldn't mind, we'd appreciate it. We keep our ads to a minimum. We work for and tips generally, and only something that we. Totally believe in. Yes. <laughs> Will we ever yes. consider? Yep. That's the only thing we're looking for anyway. uh, in terms of uh, ads on the show every once in a while. So back to um, when we were talking about our discussion in cults, and we talked a little bit about what is a cult and then how can you possibly get yourself out. Um, and third, I'd like to cover is how can we help other people get out of a cult? Because that's another tricky one, right? And, you know, as you and I, we were we were thinking about, you know, this in, in – looking into some of the research and stuff and, and kind of realized that basically being in a cult is you kind of have to treat that person as if they have an addiction. Yes. And so what you might do to help somebody with an addiction would be the same thing in, in this case is sort of how you might treat it. Mm-hmm. And the most maybe unfortunate or discouraging aspect of that is the person isn't ever going to hear or listen to your advice until they're ready. They have to, as you'd said, like hit some kind of rock bottom, something that doesn't right. feel right. There has to be something inside them um, that triggers their interest in perhaps getting out. And often that's going to be more difficult than a substance abuse addiction because often, you know, people will say, yeah, I'm a bum. I wish I wasn't drinking, right? I, I really need to, to quit the heroin use. So they, at an intellectual level, know that it's bad for them. The problem with, a lot of folks in cults is they think that they've they've got the medicine. Yeah. So that makes it exponentially more difficult. But what's the same is that you can't do it for them. Right. And I think that's the hardest part. That's something that we've had to learn the hard way that that we see these tragic situations. We get heavily invested. When we first started what we were gonna do, we kind of paused and then reset because we were really early on. Uh, in, in the work with Protect Your Noggin, getting a little too 
wrapped up in individual stories. And the problem is the person, it's kind of like when you're trying to save a drowning person, they're flailing about and you almost feel like you're going to get drowned along the, along the way. Mm-hmm. So that's where we kind of set back and said, we're not going to get too involved in individual people's lives for our own sanity and safety, but we want to teach people the things that they'll need to know, to look the out tools for. that they can use. Yeah. So, so what are some of the things that we came up with as, as uh, kind of tips for helping people to help others. Yeah. So number one, let go of your feeling that it is up to you to do something. And we kind of mentioned that already when I mentioned addiction. They have to be ready themselves. Um, But you have to let yourself off the hook as far as um, that is now your responsibility to make sure they don't get caught up in this. Let go of that anxiety. It's entirely possible that they'll never leave and you just have to come to terms with that. Right. Right. yeah, and, and the number two is you can ask questions, right? There's no there's no reason that you can't be inquisitive. I would definitely say that when when you are asking questions, you have to be careful and how you're doing. It can be done with an honest curiosity. Uh, if it comes across as judgmental, you'll start to in your questioning, you'll definitely drive them away. Mm-hmm. So you don't want it to be, you know, so, some sort of you know, judgmental, calling them out, trapping them maybe into, you're going to be able to get them to come around and see your line of reasoning by tricking them down a certain line of questioning. If you have an agenda like that, I don't think it's going to work. It has to be honest, just curious questions. And what I, I think the most important part is anytime you are able to have a conversation with, um, with a person that might, you think might be in a cult is listening is going to be key. Um, anytime you're talking, listen to what you, the clues you might be able to find from uh, what they're talking about as far as are they, you know, do they talk a lot about security or something, you know, because maybe that's what they, they feel that they're getting from this is, is a sense of security or maybe, you know, if they talk a whole lot about, you know, the leader person or whatever, but listen to what qualities that they seem to want to share about this group or the leader, because those are all clues into what they find attractive to this whole um, you know, situation. Right. And it might be also the clues that you need, you know, to be, you know, to help kind of steer, uh, you know, conversation and things in such a way that you can reassure them of, you know, where they, you know, if it, if it's that they want a sense of security, you know, reassure them somehow in little ways that, um, that they could be secure outside, outside of it, yep. you know. Um, if by, by Without saying it directly, say, hey, right. you know, yep. Yeah, just knowing what those areas of need are, those areas of anxiety. And it's not threatening because if somebody says, hey, I'm really into Prophet Bob, Prophet Bob is almost as good as Guru Greg, but I'm into Prophet Bob. That's what I'm signed up for. All right, pal. So what do you love about Prophet Bob? Yeah. Tell me about what you love about Prophet Bob. And then you could ask questions like you're a seeker, right? So then they'll say, well, Prophet Bob says we got to send him $85 and uh, you know a handkerchief. And you just say, well, what, what does that do? Mm-hmm. And so you're always asking questions so that you could, in a, in a way that is non-threatening, get them to all of a sudden realize that there's a question – that they can't answer, and then it raises other questions that they'll at least have in the back of their mind. Now, when you start to hear them go into defensive mode, I'd back off, because if they're being defensive, you're starting to um, shut down that communication, mm-hmm. and they will. You, you might lose the contact altogether, 
And I think what's most important is that you're really cautious so that you keep that lifeline open, that if they can maintain conversation with you on some level or, you know, that will be their help that they'll need to get out. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just want to be careful not to um, have them shut down that line of communication because they either thought that you were judging them, that, um, you know, that you aren't after their best interest, whatever, who knows what it might be, right? Right. So that's important. Um, and, and that was actually number three is try and stay in contact and be patient. Yeah. Um, I, I, it, it might be years. I don't know, you know, but if, as much as you can, just be there for them. Keep that open. And I would also say that, um, so when we say like with being patient, part of it too, um, there could be a way where if you realize it's just not going well when you you were asking questions about this group or whatever, keep the conversation going, but maybe maybe make a even a verbal agreement that let's not talk about, you know, this anymore. I, I, I want to be in your life and so when we'll we, just leave that out. We'll leave yeah. that out. And that is still better, <laughs> believe it mm-hmm. or not, because then they can have you know, and in fact, in a lot of ways, you bringing um, your normal everyday living life um, in conversation with them will help also make it so they're not so isolated with that group only. They'll hear of things that are going on outside of the group and what you're up to. And so if that's at all able to stay a part of the conversation, I think that's an important piece because it gives them, you know, a little glimpse of a world outside of the world that they're in. This is why cults don't want you to have that glimpse. Yeah. That's why in many ways, the same sociological factor is in many ways behind, I think our um, youth, being told sometimes to only listen to Christian music and watch Christian films. Do you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Yeah, so that you're only hearing the information that the group wants you to hear. On this line of thinking here, that, that is staying in contact and being patient, uh, there are, uh, there's a couple, uh, Rod and Linda Dubrow-Marshall, that are psychology profs at the University of Salford. Salford. And uh, this is a quote from them that kind of ties in with this. They write, be there as the unconditionally loving and caring friends or family members that you really are. Where the cult judges and condemns its members, you will be there as the person who says, sure, it is a crazy destructive group, but I understand why you got involved. We all fall for con artists. And sure, it's a crazy, destructive group, but I understand why you got involved. We all fall for con artists and swindlers once in a while. You still have a lot to offer, and I can help you move on with your life. After the cult, the world can seem a bleak and less exciting place. But with the help of family and friends, the former member can build a new and more authentic life and purpose. Hang in there, and you'll be what they really need at the end of the rainbow. So... You're just kind of constantly there. You're constantly present. People do uh, flame out uh, in some of these cults. Sometimes the cults just die out themselves, get disbanded. In some very extreme cases, they get arrested. You yeah, know? right. Uh, this has happened with the FLDS leadership. This happened with the uh, uh, that happened with the really stressfully destructive cult uh, Nexium, N X I V M where you had this is kind of a sex cult with, mm. with some, some brutality involved. 
and of course Charles Manson, mm-hmm. right? So, so it's like sometimes you just you're there and you're and you're ready to to kind of receive them once the thing falls apart. Those are in the extreme cases. In less extreme cases, they may just kind of drift out, and they'll know that you're not going to judge them. And people don't want to confront. That judgment. So by being patient, understanding, the fact is, as we talked about on a recent show, political parties operate in the same way as cults very often. Not being willing to address and confront the misdeeds of their leaders, right? Right. So if that's true, and almost everybody you meet is somehow a Democrat or Republican in North America, or in the United States at least, right? Mm -hmm. Then... You, you can't just shame somebody for having been part of a goofy group. We've right. all been part of goofy groups. It is embarrassing right. well, when you look back. You and know? one of the worst things I'm sure you could say to somebody is, I told you so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I like, want to all the time. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, just be, um, if, you're, if you're... You can think it, but don't look <laughs> yes, like you're thinking it. Exactly. <laughs> so number four, um, if there's anything you can ever do to physically remove them from the group, whether it's even maybe a, a, a coffee... A hiking trip, um, you know, uh, baseball if, game. I mean, if you were ever so, uh, you know, lucky as to get them for a week for a visit or something like that, mm-hmm. um, you know. But anything that it possibly to again give them exposure to a world outside of this all-encompassing world that they are in is super important for them to kind of, you know, remember what it was like, mm-hmm. uh, and the other on the outside, and um, maybe you know, hopefully they'll, you know, feel a tinge of missing some of yeah. that, you know? Yeah. And one of, the, one of the things that, um, you know, again, with like even just being patient on, you know, something like like that, or even the reluctancy to, even if they're able to, but the reluctancy to, to go out and be in public, um, you know, I, <laughs> I'm reminded of even just when I was, you know, mostly stay-at-home mom, and my constant world was my, was the kids. Right. And I always, I found it during that time, it was, it could sometimes be a little overwhelming and it definitely was um, intimidating sometimes to just converse with adults, to have adult Mm -hmm. conversation and to be in an adult group because I had been around kid and kid world so much that that other world was actually a little scary. It was like, I don't know how to talk to adults anymore, Um, you know, because you do that for a couple of years, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, and so one, I would say that if you are at a point where you have young children, I do encourage you to find, you know, just even get outside, talk to adults, you know, just for your own, you know, help. But I also have noticed I was just reminded of this recently because I felt a similar thing going outside after lockdown. And there was a part of me that almost was kind of like, huh, you know, like, how do I be outside the house right now? How, you know, it felt like this Mm. weird feeling of um, almost like coming out of a a fogginess or a daze Mm. or something Mm. to like re-engage at all. Like, you know, we did a little drive down to the beach and there's other people and you know we're trying to avoid being around too many people but just that like almost like oh there's people again (laughs) you know and and i would just again my point is is that that maybe is a little taste foretaste of what it could be um when you're when you're stepping outside of a group like that and it can be overwhelming so if there is an outing that would maybe be less you know like around less people or less stimulating that also might be helpful right yeah if if that if they'd be sensitive to that yeah 
And number five, uh, reinforce agency rather than focusing on facts that make the group look bad. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think that, you know, that, that part, you're not going to... temptation. You want to give them the list of things. And you see it. You can, you see it with your eyes open, you know, exactly maybe what the manipulation is. Mm-hmm. But it's so much more important. If you, if you go on the attack, they're just going to shut down. There are often times, I've, I've seen this a lot in Protestant circles, where you have a really strong argument about something, and the group has memorized the answer, oh, yeah. right? And so they never really engage the answer. Well, that's blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they're, right? they're, that's blah, blah, blah. That's they're or, able to spout off, yeah. Yeah, somebody had asked me a question about Lutherans and like white nationalism, and they had heard people on certain Lutheran internet groups that I don't go to saying, well, this is just critical race theory. That's just critical race theory. And the person was raising a concern about something related to the structures of society and racism. Well, what happens is you raise a concern. They've already dealt with this concern in a, you know, a brief manner or maybe an extended manner, but they just dismiss it. Oh, that's just critical race theory, so I'm not going to engage it. Well, maybe there's some aspect of critical race theory that's completely true, and I, I just see this all the time in religious groups that are not seen as cults. So you know it happens with cults. Right. So it's true that that's faulty thinking. We shouldn't do it. But the fact is that people do it. So you're not going to get too far by just giving them those evidences. That's actually going to take them back to their own resources, going back to their reliance on the cult leader instead of you. Right. And them having a real conversation. And you want to give them agency. Uh, uh, Stephen Hassan uh, says, quote, The goal is always to empower people to think for themselves and make independent decisions. I couldn't agree more. Right. Yeah, and, and, and that's really what we're trying to do with Protect Your Noggin in general, is to, is to help people discover their own agency so that you don't have to spend all your time memorizing weird facts about weird sects. And so often, I mean, these people are a part of these groups because they want belonging and they want meaning. I mean, there's I mean, all sorts of different reasons, but that's a huge piece of it, right? Mm-hmm. And so when they have their own agency, um, it's way, you know, like they can start to again, separate out, you know, what is the meaning that they want in their life rather than just borrowing somebody else's meaning. Um, and, you know, what is it, you know, why do they need, have this need for belonging, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, anyway, how can, how can they also be reassured that they have that on the outside too, mm-hmm. you know, um, that their belonging, that their sense of worth and everything isn't just only tied up in this, you know? Yeah. So number six, Call the police if you learned of something illegal. I mean, that's, I mean, you, you, even though it may threaten, obviously, the, re, the lifeline or the connection that you have with the person, if there is something that where you know that the lives of people or something really harmful or illegal is going on, you do need to alert the authorities. Often it'll be financial. So that's, that's something. Uh, it could be uh, sexual abuse. Um, it could be employment law. And you have to worry about jurisdictions. I mean, there was a time when one group was raided by the FBI and then that group scared the people that were investigating and did some legal maneuvering and, and got out of something. And it was, it was amazing that they did. So you can't just rely on one or the other, but you can rely on different agencies. So if, if the police won't go into something, maybe the IRS does care about something and maybe uh, you know, maybe child protective services can intervene. So you you got to recognize that there's not just one 
daddy that takes care of safety in, in the world. Right. You've got all sorts of law enforcement groups, all sorts of social um, social care networks and so forth. So if, if, uh, if you have to, and if there is something illegal going on, try to keep, keep going at it. And I guess I suppose you could also eventually take that illegal thing uh, and make it a little bit more public, you know, raise awareness about it. But that's, that's a pretty big task. Right. So we have two more points we're going to make. And number seven, if there is significant danger involved, uh, you may want to work with an organization or a psychological counselor that can help guide through the process of intervention. Mm-hmm. I would also, as we mentioned before, throw out that warning that counter cult groups are not necessarily trustworthy. Do your research, do your homework, mm-hmm. um, you know, look into what, what is, what is their agenda? What are their, what is their possible motivations? And, and let me give you a weird one. That's really funky. And that is the cult awareness network. There was a group called the cult awareness network or can that was going up against the Church of Scientology. Scientology sued them, and the small group couldn't fight back. And so now the Cult Awareness Network is owned and operated by Scientology. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's talk yeah. about a Molech hostile takeover or something, but that, that can happen. That's why, and, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of staying out of the religious landscape when you can, if that's what you're involved in. And if you feel like you got yourself into a goofy group, maybe you don't want to trust another group because you don't want to trust yourself to be able to determine right. whether it's a good group or not. So, yeah. Well, and, and so what, you at know, least not now, what are the requirements, you know, if you do get their help, right? Cause, right. cause if they're looking to grow their numbers, I think it'll be obvious by, you know, what sorts of things that, you know, Oh, we have these classes we have, you know, whatever, like what, what, is there, you know, form of, are they re-educating you? And if so, what are they using to re-educate you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's another, another thing. Um, our last point, number eight, anticipate the emotional effects of feeling meaninglessness af- in the aftermath. And, and we mentioned this a little bit too, but because you, you need to find some way that you still can connect. And especially a lot of times these groups are spiritual in nature. Yeah. And there's going to be a little bit of a hole there. Yes. Um, and there's going to be a spiritual high. There's going to be a connectedness. Yeah. And so you want to be able to sort of fill that, if you will, but not completely, but just sort of like help, you know, help that with something that brings you that helps with that space that you, you know, that you need, such as maybe even like non-religious yoga, um, where you can still maybe do some sort of meditation or... Right, you quiet your mind, you have those moments. And there are, like, you know, there are people that are, you know, like even just, we mentioned with, like, Brene Brown and some of her stuff, like, you can read some of her information and it's, like, you can almost treat that like a devotional, if you yeah. will, um, and just learn, you know, how to find your, your own strength and empowerment. Um, yeah, if you were in the morning, if you're reading religious materials from your cult, Fill that back up with stuff that's going to strengthen you. Fill that back up with reading broadly right. materials. And in, in many ways, that's the, one of the main reasons that we've spent so much time with our rewording of the Tao Te Ching. Because it, it, that occurred to us very early on that one of the things we see over and over again, uh, evangelicals who've deconstructed their faith, people that lost their faith after they were pastors, people that came out of abusive groups, um, really high-demand cults, they, they find themselves happy that they got out, but the world got gray mm. and tasteless 
and they had spent so much of their lives feeling like they were a part of the salvation of the world, Mm -hmm. that they were doing something monumentally important, and they were just one of a few people who were able to do this, and now they're just people working at at some job, you know, if if they're lucky, right? So you've got to find a way to center yourself. And so for us, the reason that we're really excited about the translation rewording of the Tao Te Ching and also season three that's coming up later this summer where we're going to start looking at protecting our noggins with Lao Tzu, the the author of the Tao Te Ching. The reason that's there is because the Tao Te Ching doesn't invite you to a certain set of weird doctrines. So you could be a Christian, a Buddhist, you could be an atheist, and you can still draw from the centering and the wisdom, just classical yeah. philosophical wisdom that that the Tao Te Ching has. And so it's, it feels spiritual, but it isn't really sectarian or dogmatic. It is true that there are people that are religious Taoists, but that's a separate right. kind of you thing. Don't ha- yeah. What it is, is it, it honestly is like a, it's a, a study on human behavior or, yeah. you know, it's a commentary. Natural I'm saying and uh, human, behavior, human behavior. Yeah. And so it's, it sometimes even seems like a little strange how it can kind of predict, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, the future it feels like, but it's not, it's just, it's wisdom. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. um, of literally describing and explaining, you know, the natural, you know, the natural world and human behavior and how things tend to break down and, you know, and what, what are positive influences. There are other texts like this, for instance, the Proverbs in the Hebrew Bible, it does not require uh, dogmatic commitment. It's, you know, keep your nose clean, get a good job and your your life will go well. Kind of self-evident truths, but truths we need to hear. Eventually, you may want to go into all sorts of metaphysical speculation again or whatever, but giving yourself some way of channeling that need for peace and for reflection, contemplation, meditation, mindfulness, these are all good things, especially if no one's hustling you with some formula or a trademarked version of meditation, Mm -hmm. right? Like these things Mm -hmm. are, are signs, but if you're just... If you're just getting involved in some way of calming your mind and getting that spiritual kick without having to, to do it with some goofy guru or, or anointed pastor, you're going to be in a lot better shape. Yeah, and one other fun place uh, <laughs> could be uh, peace-giving music, like true reggae, right? No, I think so. I think a lot of people, <laughs> there's, yeah. There's a, fun, there's a fun element to that. And I definitely... When I feel a little down or um, I'm lacking a little bit of motivation or, you know, if I'm going to go clean the house, a lot of mm-hmm. times I do appreciate putting on some reggae music. There's, yeah. a, there's a vibe to it that... Um, there's definitely... A, it's all vibe, right? Now, right. it is true that like when you get into Rastafarianism, Rastafarianism is its own kind of new religious movement mm-hmm. that, that brings in Pan-Africanism and the ideas of Marcus Garvey. And as much as I love reggae, I don't believe that the um, that Haile Selassie is the reincarnation right. of Jesus. <laughs> but what's, uh, what's interesting is uh, there again, with... A few exceptions. There's certainly some reggae artists that are old school from Jamaica, really just right on that track. But there's a whole new spectrum of uh, reggae musicians from around the world that have a general Jesus vibe, right? Like, and it's not, they're not spending a lot of time talking about 
a certain set of doctrines. And so you can, you can think about loving your, your fellow human beings. You're, you can think about finding peace and not being afraid and not letting the, the beast, the molech, the state dictate your whole life. Um, there are some great ways in which reggae can give you that sense of freedom. Right, and I'm not mm-hmm. talking about the goofy stuff that people. I mean, you listen to what you listen to, friends. <laughs> I'm just not into the uh, the kind of reggae that's more for like date nights at clubs. But, I'm talking about hanging even, out on a beach, you know. Even the, music in general, <laughs> music in general. Yeah. You know, whatever it is that you feel drawn to. Um, obviously, hopefully, not something that is per- <laughs> promoting the the values of the cult that you are in. But I'm just saying there are there are there is a spiritualness to music mm-hmm. that a connection, and sometimes even listening to music that um it, that even can you know how music has that ability to bring you right to a moment oh, yeah. in the past so even a positive time in your life and what kind of music were you playing back yeah. then you know could you dust that off find it go go um you know do some research on, on the internet and, and get a hold of some some of those albums or you know um cuz even in my training with death doula work um people that have dementia or alzheimer's and this is mm-hmm. a little off track yeah. but um they they often even if they are almost they're non-communicative for the most part you know and they're they would just sit there and if people they give them music like through an ipod um or you know just put headphones on or something and play some of their favorite music and they spring right back up a lot of times. I mean, oh, I can't man. say that it's, brought tears to my yeah. eyes when I saw it. Is that a YouTube video we could link to? Yeah, our, I can, I can track that down. So we'll put that, we'll, um, we'll put that on protectyournoggin.org. Music is an extremely powerful tool for helping. And that could be even another way too. to, um, if you are ever able to, maybe there's a song yeah, to break through to your loved one. Um, if there is a song that's meaningful to their past, your past together, something like that, you know, and just a little reminder, even a, a little reminder of, you know, a lyric from it or something, mm-hmm. because there is a huge power in music and, and that ability to, um, you know, really just, I don't know, it's almost magical. <laughs> well, it's, it is definitely. Now, I will say, I, I suppose either I should change it or we'll uh, stick with it, but if you go currently at Dow Surfer's YouTube channel, that's where we put up the videos of just the the episodes we do that are Protect Your Noggin series. Mm-hmm. So, you know, each of the chapters with Protect Your Noggin with Jesus, those are up as videos that are the podcast with us. And you can see it's us. It's the same podcast that we, yeah, that we do just, you know, through our voices, but then also there's the video version video. of it. But I will say also we put together playlists. We have a Christmas playlist. I've got a dub reggae playlist. So if you want to hear some 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 different kind of sounds that maybe you didn't hear before. And then we've got a couple like lullabies for the eschaton, you know, that are kind of <laughs> dark. Some of that's tongue in cheek. And I will say some of them are actually musicians that are coming from some kind of religious background. Every once in a while, somebody sneaks in that is part of some kind of Hindu kind of new age mm. thing that I dig they give uh, or something else. And I think that that is something to be careful about, right? When you're, when you're looking at this, but once you get to a certain level of, of not suspicion, but boundary keeping, then if you're not a Christian, you can appreciate uh, Gregorian chant from Catholics. Right. You can appreciate the Mormon tabernacle choir as they're singing. I mean, you know, so uh, I, I like uh, Ajit, uh, you know, um, I wouldn't be surprised. I haven't looked into it enough. Uh, I think she, that's what she goes by now, mm-hmm. Ajit Kaur. And I think she's part of some group that's maybe westernized uh, Sikhs. Mm. You know, that makes uh, sense. Yeah. 
And um, that's often associated with Kundalini yoga. Mm-hmm. The, and they have the white the outfits white, yeah. and so, everything. So that's just, you know, I'm, I'm sure that that's what that is. Well, I'm not, uh, I, I, don't, recommend, I don't recommend Kundalini yoga. I'm, I'm kind of uh, averse to overly religious forms of yoga, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, for my own personal protection <laughs> as much as anything, right? But I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe they're cool. But the point is, is that some of those her songs have been very helpful and calming to me. Mm. So as long as, as long as you know what you're into, I, I'm not saying that that's for everybody. And right now we're talking about how to help somebody else get out of a cult. But I'd still say if, so, if somebody, let's say, was in the Rajneeshis, that was the the group that um, was um, on the documentary, Wild Wild Country, you could see, oh, the Rajneeshis are dangerous. Um, Osho had some really powerful things to say, but he also, at a personal level, was dangerous, right? And a criminal. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you do with somebody like that? Well, it's not necessary. It's not necessary for those people not to meditate or to listen to cool, like, meditative music right. that are from maybe people that are in some way connection, connected to Kundalini Yoga. It, it may be, however, that they really shouldn't deal with that at all just because it's too close an association. It's a case-by-case case, case case basis. But I know a lot of people that really, you know, they're, they're no longer Lutherans, but they still listen to Bach. <laughs> you know what I'm right, saying? Right. So it has to do with maturity. And then if you're working with somebody else, their level of maturity. But the key point here is you can't go into a vacuum. That's a very dangerous spot spiritually and emotionally. Yes. And something even inevitably will fill that hole, yeah. I think. And often it ends up being alcohol or drugs, um, or just just depression. Like I, I, you know, it's. I think the, I think the, the rate of addiction after that is easy to anticipate mm-hmm. because drugs and music and spirituality and sex all tickle a similar part of the brain, and um, if they're not interconnected, they definitely can sometimes be replaceable. This is why you know Augustine before any of this brain scanning was saying in, in his confessions, you know, Lord, our hearts are restless until they rest in, rest in you. And what he meant was there is this God-shaped vacuum, mm-hmm. is what he called it. Uh, yeah. Now, maybe you say there's a vacuum, mm-hmm. and it could be God, music, sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever, but something's going to fill it. Yeah. And I would imagine that developing some sort of routine in your life yeah. afterwards is helpful um w- whatever that might be so that yeah. you aren't you know just accident accidentally just closing yourself off and you know and you're you know you got rid of that group and now you're afraid to do anything or whatever but maybe have some goals and and mm-hmm. try to move towards it and a routine in your day so that you you know wake up make sure you, you know mm-hmm. that you know when you're going to eat and you know for as long as you need it right and yep. and you can obviously be flexible with it but get exercise in there you know if there's a a Slate in a time for artistic expression of some kind, mm-hmm. right? Those kinds well, sometimes of cults try to get you more uh, pliable by s- sleep deprivation. Mm. So get yourself some nice sleep. Good sleep. Get some good exercise. Eat well. <laughs> so friends, here's the deal. I hope that you never find yourself in a cult. I hope that you don't have loved ones in a cult. But I also know that that's, uh, that's something that does happen. It's, it's something that affects a lot of lives. We feel for you. We send you our Care Bear hearts, 
Again, that we're sending you rays of love from our Care Bear chests, hoping that, uh, that that reaches you, that you feel that love, that support. And just remember that in all of this, you know, patience is important. Being a kind, supportive person for others is important. And that a lot of this is based on fear. We get trapped into unhealthy groups, follow unhealthy gurus because we're afraid and we're afraid to have our own agency. And so remember, as scary as it is to take that first step out into the world of your own agency and empowerment, as scary as it is sometimes to cut that cord from your connection to unhealthy groups, remember that on the other side of it, on the other side of it, if you're patient, if you are courageous to get there, you will be able to find, dear friends, peace upon peace. Uh, thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.